Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Guthrie. And we are also here with Amy Lapont, assistant professor at the Milwaukee School of Engineering. Uh, hello, hello, Amy. Hello, how are you? Hello. All right, Guthrie, I got a warning for you. Yeah. Um, Amy and I, we haven't known each other very long, but the, the couple of times we've had conversations on the phone and in person, we, uh, you can't stop us from talking. You're yeah. going to have such a hard time getting in on this conversation. I'm just, you, you're going to have to be really <laughs> assertive if you want in. <laughs> well, the pressure's on now. The pressure's on. <laughs> you guys saw each other not too long ago. We did. Yeah. So I went, um. I went down to Milwaukee to meet Amy in person. When was that? Like a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, uh, I think two, three weeks ago that, that was. And we, we yeah. finally got to meet face to face for the very first time. And we solved the world's problems. We did in about <laughs> 20 minutes, I think. And then some other people joined us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just took off. And uh, it was lots of fun. And then I looked at her and I said, I think you should come on the podcast. And I said, yeah. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, because we were talking about so much fun stuff. So um, I guess I'd like to start. Actually, you know, can, I don't know if you've told me this or not, but can you give us a little bit of your background? Like, how did you end up as a uh, professor at Milwaukee School of Engineering teaching uh, user experience kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I guess I, I didn't even realize I was going to wind up here. So I, I don't know if it's an interesting story, but um, it's, a, it's a story nonetheless. Um, I, I have been user experience professional for years and years. And um, just uh, where do I even begin? So I guess start at the beginning. Um, I went to the University of Washington um, and I was originally an electrical engineering major and um, about... Uh, the middle of my junior year, I realized that that was not for me and that if I had to be an electrical engineer, I would probably wind up um, like it, it would have been very bad. So I found the field of technical communication. And at that point in time, um, the University of Washington was um, starting to transition their technical communication program into uh, human-centered design and engineering, which is what it's called today. Um, and I took a couple of classes and I was hooked, um, graduated um, from the University of Washington with my undergrad in technical communication with an emphasis in usability. Um, and during that journey at the University of Washington, um, we had a guest speaker come in from a company uh, called, what were you called at the time? I think it was NetPodium at the time. Um, and they were talking about webcasting software, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world. And I thought it was even cooler that they had a user experience team, um, or at that time, just a usability team, human-centered design, I think they were called. Um, that was really focused on making that best possible experience. And so I uh, emailed them until they hired me on as an intern. <laughs> um, I emailed them every day for, I want to say, a good month. And finally they, <laughs> finally they said, okay, come work for us. And so I did. Um, and that was really the start of my career as a, as a usability professional. And, and so also now, now we know that if... if if you email and suggest something, everyone should just give in right away. 
Yes, absolutely, because I'm I'm pretty determined. That's that's one of my <laughs> qualities, if you will. <laughs> I don't know if it's it's a positive quality or or a, a negative quality, but it's a quality nonetheless. Um, so, uh, yeah, they um, but it, it wound up working out really really well until we um, we all got uh, we all dot com bubble burst. We all laid off as many of us got laid off. Hmm. So you you eventually made your way somehow mm-hmm. to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, my husband and I are originally from Milwaukee. Oh, and, okay. Um, so we we moved to Milwaukee um, or moved back to Milwaukee, I should say, to be with our family. Although we, um, if our family was not in Milwaukee, we would definitely still be in the Seattle area because it's absolutely beautiful. And um, have you guys? Been- Yes, but Milwaukee's beautiful too, Amy. Uh, it is absolutely well, beautiful. It is, but it's so cold here. It's so cold, and we, <laughs> we don't get that in in the Seattle area. So absolutely, I'm. I love Milwaukee. I love that I'm here, but it's it's a little too cold for me. So, <laughs> um, doesn't mean that I I don't enjoy my hats, my gloves, and my my coat though. So do you, so. So how long have you been at, at MSOE, Milwaukee School of Engineering? Mm-hmm. So um, the Milwaukee School of Engineering, I've been here for a little over a year. Uh, oh, not very long. A year, a year and a half now. Yeah. Um, officially. So how did you get, yeah. how did you move from, you know, uh, the corporate world to teaching? Yeah. So I had taught, um, I've been teaching now for about six seven years, not at Milwaukee School of Engineering. I was at a community college called the um, Waukesha Area Technical College, or WCTC. And that kind of happened by chance as well. Um, I was in the corporate world. I was at a company called Northwestern Mutual. And um, there's a a strong culture of lunching there uh, um, uh, because the company uh, has free lunch every day. And I had sat down with... um, with a coworker at the time, and he was teaching at WCTC and in a web development program. And uh, and he explained what he was doing, and I said, "Wow, that sounds like fun. I'd like to teach." And he said, "Hey, we might have some openings." Yeah. So I started <laughs> teaching part time at WCTC shortly after that conversation, um, and uh, from there, I, I was teaching um, uh, a web design class. And um, it was kind of a crazy class because we were teaching Flash, Dreamweaver, and oh, man. and what else? Flash, Dreamweaver, and Photoshop all in one class to people that had never um, done any sort of web design. Before. I remember, <laughs> I remember Flash back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Flash was kind of a crazy. thing. I remember uh, Dreamweaver back well, in the day. We all remember Dreamweaver. Mm-hmm. Well, do you remember Front Page though? Yeah, I remember that. I, don't, I used to use that stuff. I don't stuff. remember front Yeah, that's before that's your before time, Gatsby. Mm, yeah. yeah, well, front page was Microsoft's version of Dreamweaver, and that's why I learned to code, um, because I was mm. constantly having to fix the code within front page for the WYSIWYG editor. <laughs> yeah, that's what, you, that's what you had to do. You would do the front page, and then you'd find somebody who could fix the code from what you had done. That's what, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's what I did yep, years yep. and years well, ago. That's how I had my first web page. Uh, my front page was notorious for putting in breaks um, in weird places. So if you didn't know code, you did learn how to and find Jen, breaks. And Jen, if you're listening, 
Remember those days? I had my <laughs> a wonderful uh, graphic designer slash uh, uh, web designer who's now a UX person, Jen. She was the she was my code fixer ah, back in the okay. day. So I, then, all right. So you went from the community college. Yep, yep. So and so I was doing that while I was working my corporate gig, um, and. Uh, through through my corporate gig, I um, also was introduced to um, uh, a woman here, um, Dr. Nadia Shalomova at uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering, um, and um, it was kind of strange because she had um, reached out to me like five or six years ago, and then I didn't hear from her, and then about three years ago, um, we reconnected, and she asked me to be part of. Um, the Milwaukee School of Engineering's Industrial Advisory Committee, which oh. is a committee that is um, uh, every program at the Milwaukee School of Engineering has an industrial advisory committee in order to ensure that we stay aligned with what industry needs. And yeah. so she asked me to be part of the committee. Um, and at that point in time, the uh, user experience and communication design program here at MSOE was the technical communication program. And so, like the University of Washington when I was there, um, but uh, quite a bit um, later, um, there was a need to figure out, okay, what happens to the program next? And um, there was a lot of those conversations in the Industrial Advisory Committee. And yeah. Being a tc -er by education that moved into the field of user experience. So, yeah, I mean. A lot of conversations on that. You know, people listening may not, I don't know how many people, Guthrie, do you remember the the whole STC technical communication, or was that before your time? STC, mm -hmm. yeah, apparently before his time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so years ago, really, in some ways, before there was, I guess, at the same time. I don't, actually, I don't know historically which came first, but you know, there was usability, but there was this huge field of people who were technical communicators and yep. STC was a society for technical communicators. And mm -hmm. I, and they're still around. They're still around. Cause I used to speak at their conferences and mm -hmm. this was okay. What you have to imagine Guthrie is that, um, software is being created at an, an alarming rate. Applications are being created and they're all pretty much unusable. And yep. there aren't any usability people or UX people or designers who are doing who are creating them. So when when the software is done, uh, or be right before it's done, and they know that regular people aren't going to be able to use it, they create um, training manuals and learning manuals and documentation mm -hmm. for how to use the software. And yep. somebody has to write all that documentation and explain to to someone how to use this pretty much unusable software. And that was a technical communicator. So yeah. really they were, they were kind of like, um, usability people, uh, except they couldn't fix anything. They could just find what the problems were and then figure out how to explain to someone how to use this thing that had all these problems. So fascinating. I mean, you know, it was an interesting problem and they, it was technical communicators were basically translators. <laughs> yeah, they were. And they did. I mean, thank God for them. And they did a yeah. wonderful job. Luckily, um, everyone and, you know, finally started listening to them, uh, because they were, I'm sure they were aware 
uh, that, you know, if you'd only fix this thing, I wouldn't have to write five pages mm-hmm. on how to fill out Susan, this one form. Do you remember when um, when inline help started like coming about and, pe- and and how crazy of a phenomenon that was? Like I do. Yeah. Help, help screens. Yep. I yep. used to. I used to te- I used to teach a class mm-hmm. on how to design online help. Mm-hmm. And yep. and I used to work on help systems. Yeah, like, Guthrie. Like there was help. a whole career. <laughs> there was a career you could have in how to uh, in in writing help messages. Yep. That was like your career, not mm-hmm. error messages, help messages. Do you, Guthrie? Do you even know what a help message is? Yeah, man, they have help messages on all kinds of stuff. All but right, these, well, anyway. these things happen. It's it's actually uh, the, the, in pretty uh, most most HTML templates these days have help message. No, one, I mean some people use them, some people don't. Yeah. Um, I mean it. They're it's different. It's definitely different. But yeah. Like when I started Skype up earlier. They're like, oh, we have a new version, and then it spotlights spotlights like the the things. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. is that kind of what you're talking what you're talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah, it, yeah. it used to be incredibly elaborate, though. I mean, they would go on for pages and pages, and you could mm-hmm. get help for you know, and you had to decide: am I going to give page level help and field level help? And you know, I mean, there was like it, it was just it was a it was a whole thing. Anyway, that's yeah. what the so the technical communicators. That's well, we that's have what tutorials now, right? Like. If you, you and could. and they did tutorials too. Yeah, it was the, the it was more linear and a lot more wordy when, than they are today, and not as interactive. Um, yeah, it was a lot of just pages of text, or, or a hyperlink to more information, which yeah. was that was also phenomenal too. When you could actually put the hyperlink next to a field that needed help, rather that than having special. have it in a centralized help place. See, Guthrie, literally, you would get a manual. Okay. Like I remember no, I remember in Windows. Page manual no, I remember with in Windows your when you had software and you pressed on the little X the question mark. Yeah. And then the help manual would open. Yeah. And it was yeah, part yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Windows bundle yeah. whatever software. Anyway, that's what it that's what STC was <laughs> and is all about. Yep. All right. Keep going, Amy. So where was I? Oh, um, so Nadia and I had started having conversations around, um, around okay, what's the next phase of the technical communication program? Because we were seeing that, uh, or she was seeing that students were um, uh, no longer as interested in writing help, uh, even though it's very important. I mean, in fairness, I wouldn't want to be interested in that that sounds te- like that sounds horrible <laughs> writing like yes. long technical documents that no one wants to read there are still people that re- that enjoy it so i've met a number of people that really enjoy that that kind of work but and and there's i think that there's still a need in some places but it's not nearly as much as as what we needed back in the uh late 90s early 2000s hey amy you know yeah. what i I remember a conversation I had. There was this guy, and he was a he was a technical communicator, okay. and he was going through my uh, training program to be a you know usability person. It was I think it was mm-hmm. before the days of UX, mm-hmm. and so um, 
you know, he was going to switch careers, right? And instead of being <laughs> documenting the bad system and how they work around it, he was going to now design better systems. And he went through the whole training program, and he went and and did did that, you know, the job of a of a UX person uh, for maybe like a year or two, mm-hmm. and then he contacted me and he said he hated it and he wanted to go back to being a technical communicator. And I, and I was like, no one had ever said that, you know? And I said, why? And here's what he said. It was interesting. He said, as a designer, you know, as a UX person, I'm having to constantly, um, defend my, uh, design decisions because, the other people on the team, the designers and the developers, you know, they don't want to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And so all I'm doing is like fighting battles about why they should do it differently. He said, when I was a technical communicator, you know, no, but I just went off and did my thing. And nobody's going to argue with me about how I'm documenting. Well, because it doesn't impact the system. Yeah. Right. And I yeah, thought, that's... well, that's kind of it. And he said, I just can't take it anymore. I can't take yeah. all the. Arguments no, I, I get his argument. I, I I feel I feel his pain. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's all that I've done my entire career, which is, <laughs> is what I, I have the exact I've had the exact same conversation yeah. um, since since the beginning, and that's exactly what he was talking about. And yeah, it, yeah. It, it's exhausting at times, but yeah, you know, it is. It is. Job as kind of the um, the the early professionals in user experiences to help educate people, which is also why it's so um, fantastic that I'm in the position that I'm in right now. I'm just taking all those conversations that I've had multiple times, and I'm packaging up in a way um, that makes sense to students so that they can go out and. Um, and you know, I think I think the other thing that made that, me think of when he did that was. But, that you have to, what I told him, and now what I tell a lot of people when I'm, you know, when I'm training people how to, how to do this work, you have to change what your definition of success is. Yes. So, you know, as a technical communicator, he, success meant, you know, he finished the project. He had documented the best way to mm-hmm. learn and use this product, even with its faults. Yep, And, you know, he had the project done and uh, people were using his documentation and so on. As a, as a usability slash UX person, you, you, you know, you're part of a team. Some of your ideas are going to get implemented. Others are not going to get implemented. And so it, you can't, you have to define what I say is, is there anything that you have done in this project? that has resulted in this product being uh, having a better user experience because you were involved. Anything, mm-hmm. not just any small thing, any big yep. thing, but not all your ideas are implemented, but just is the product a better product because you were involved in it? And if the answer is yes, then you were a success on that project. And yeah. y- you have to do that. Otherwise you do, you're going to be so beaten down and exhausted yep. Um, and, and you're not going to have a sense of being successful. And, and I, so I think it's a, you know, you have to take on that mindset set shift, Mm -hmm. as you said, that your role, you know, it's, it's an evolution. You're 
people are learning, you're educating people, and you're making whatever improvements you can make. I mean, maybe that's defeatist. I don't know. No, I think that's, I think that's a, I, I don't think it's defeatist at all. I think that um, there's something to be said about being done with a project, a sense of gratification with it. But with our work, because it is so iterative and it, we see it in no matter what process you're using, it's always iterative. Um, and I, I think that that iteration is you need to figure out, as you had mentioned, what, what does success look like to you? What does done look like to you? Is it okay that you yeah. just, you just changed, um, you know, one minor thing, but it could make some huge changes mm-hmm. and you need to feel like that success is, is enough. But for some people, um, it's, it's not enough. And I can see yeah. there are yeah, they, very they, exhausting there. And I, yeah. I also think, especially as we're bringing in agile development and figuring out where uh, UXers fit into agile, um, that's even more difficult because it's even more iterative than what we have. But for the, the individual that you were talking about, he might have thrived in it um, because you have very distinct time frames that you're working within and you absolutely have a definition of what done means. So at the end of the day, you can really look at um, what you've done, what you've completed, and and feel maybe better about it than in the waterfall methodology. Although our, our what we do as as UX professionals is um, fits a little bit better into waterfall. That's where a lot of churn, I think, happens as well. So Guthrie, Amy, um, <laughs> when when we met a couple weeks ago, she was telling me about a course she's teaching on agile, and so mm-hmm. then we then we went off into a a whole agile. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of world. on an agile train right now, and I'm I'm letting it take me wherever it takes me. So. Mm. <laughs> she's she's uh, it, uh, she's it, it let go and is being uh, taken down. I I had this image when you said that of, you know, you were like uh, in a fast moving river, you were holding onto a branch. Mm-hmm. And you let go. Yep. Yes, <laughs> that's just, exactly. Just yes. let the river take you away. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely. See where you're going to end up. That's right. And I have no idea where it is. And so, <laughs> which is scary and exciting at the same time, right? <laughs> so you, you're you teaching in an undergraduate uh, program. Correct. And there, you know, there are not, I don't think there are a lot, because we yeah. were talking about this, there aren't a lot of undergraduate programs where you can get a degree or at least have a major in, you know, user experience or human factors or usability or whatever you want to call it. Yep. Yep. And they have that at MSOE. Yes. Yep. We're about a year old now. So uh, this past fall is the first year that we started offering the program, although we started offering some of the classes last year. Um, So we are brand new, and it's pretty exciting to be part of a brand new program as well, because we get to shape it, and we get to be cutting edge, if you will, when it comes to developing our curriculum, because um, we're totally transforming um, from technical communication into this new space. So we're really um, able to uh, test the waters in a lot of different ways. Also, um, the uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering just received a um, 
$31 million donation in order to build a computational sciences building here, focusing on artificial intelligence, which... Ooh, really? Yeah. From a UX perspective, that's just, I mean, that's like the next phase of where we're going. So even... even I want to come to school there. Yeah. So being able to develop a new user experience program in a field that's still maturing um, and being at a university that's going to be really focused on the next phase of what tech looks like for us is even more exciting. Well, now, what department are, are you in? Um, we are in the humanities and social sciences department right now. Really? Uh, yeah. Which is, ah. is interesting as well. Um, we are, because we were technical communication before. And so um, technical communication fits into, um, uh, into human uh, into the humanities department more so than any of the other engineering. Wait a minute. So if you're, if you're a student in, yeah. you go to Milwaukee School of Engineering. Yep. You can get a degree in humanities? Um, there, We have business degrees. We have nursing degrees, engineering degrees, and we have a few um, humanities degrees as well, um, which technical communication was that, but now it's user experience and communication design. So, yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, that's different. Yes, it, it is. It, it creates a really diverse student population as well. Um, and, and a lot of people don't realize the breadth and depth of, yeah. of education that you can get from this university. Yeah. See, I would have thought, you know, you're in software engineering. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's part of the beauty of where we are as well, is that we have all these engineers around us too. So yeah. we have lots of opportunities to collaborate with different areas of engineering, um, software engineering, com- uh, computer engineering being probably the lo- the closest to us being in the digital environment. However, there's so many applications for user experience outside of just the digital space um, that we, as we become more mature, will continue to explore further partnerships with other, um, with other programs and see where that takes us. Especially, like I said, with the computational sciences building um, coming, we we need to we need to figure out how we fit in there, and that's a question yeah. that we've been asked by our our new administration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how many? Um, uh, be, it, since you're new mm-hmm. as a program, I mean mm-hmm. not, you're not new. You were there before, but you've changed. Mm-hmm. You probably don't have a whole lot of students going through. Mm-hmm. You know, is this a degree that you're offering? Is it a major? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so it's a, a Bachelor of Science um, in User Experience and Communication Design. Okay. And um, right, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, and uh, we, right now we have um, our first class, um, our first cohort um, is graduating this fall who okay. transitioned Um over from technical communication into user experience. So I think we have four people graduating, um, which is going to be very exciting for us. And then we have 28 uh, individuals right now that have entered into the program. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So we're hoping to grow that um, even further, Um, obviously. Well, I just, I know, you know, because I teach, um, I'm an adjunct at, University of Wisconsin and Stevens Point. Yep. And I just know that, 
you know, it's you, you have a new program or you make a major change in your program, and it takes a while for mm-hmm. the students to find out and the the faculty advisors to know so that they can point students towards you. And so, yeah, you know, twenty yeah, it's pretty also, good. Yeah, we also have a um, a minor in user experience community. Mm. And that's been pretty popular as well, especially for our software engineering students um, because it complements so well. We also have had a couple of students um, that have uh, come from other majors. One in particular was a construction management um, major, and uh, she started taking some of our user experience classes just last year last uh winter and she fell in love with it but our program was not um not as far along as she needed it to be because she's going to be graduating this fall um but she decided to get her minor in user experience and and she's likely going to be going on to be a user experience professional um and so we've been helping her along the way as well, which is really what I love about this university too, because we have really low uh, ratios for uh, students to professors. We're able to mentor and help students and because we're learning too, and that's part of being um, part of an academic program is that you need to learn from your students too. But for those students that may not have been able to take part of uh, getting the major, we're able to help um, coach them into the space in a different way as well as we're transitioning to. So, so what, what do you, um, okay. So what courses, mm-hmm. what's your favorite course to teach and what's your least favorite? And we, we won't tell anybody. No one will know. No one will of listen course, to this podcast. No <laughs> uh, well, honestly, um, Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I, my favorite courses and are, are always the course that I'm courses that I'm teaching right now because I get <laughs> so into them. Um, I, I get so immersed into them because it's so much fun learning um, and learning with my students and they get me excited. Um, and so um, I, I that that's a hard one. And again, maybe different quarters. It's going to feel different for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now, though. If I were to choose the one that that it probably, I don't know if it's my least favorite, but it's the one that I think I need to do the most work on to get it where. Yeah, the most to, challenging. Yeah, is um is actually my user experience research methods class. Really? Yeah. Um, and you, the reason why is because I've been doing user experience for so long that um it's it's hard to teach something that you're that you've been doing forever. Um, and it's hard to do it in a way that's engaging and not be frustrated um, that you need to uh, get people that are very, very new, interested and understanding and proficient at, at what you're doing. And so it's, it's me. Um, that's me interesting. Being, yeah, me being a little critical of of maybe myself in the way that I'm teaching it because I've been doing it for so long and I, I don't think I'm doing as good of a job as me. I, 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 yeah, I've, I've taught some courses that at least had parts where we were doing, you know, user research. And I think I know what you mean. I mean, for me, it was like, it was like breathing. Mm-hmm. So it was like, wait a minute, what, why don't you see how, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like, of course, yes. you, of course, this is important. Of course, you have to do it. Of course, it's relevant. And it 
And I don't even think about that. So now I had to ex- stop and explain. Yes. <laughs> yes. Why it's important that you do it this way and not that way. And, and I just, I, it, it just seemed foreign to me to have to back up that far, maybe, you know, yeah. to, to even have people understand why, why you would need to do some of the things you need or why you, why it would be really important to do it this way and not that way. Yes. Yes. And yes, it's, yeah. it's very, and, and my feedback from my students, you know, you, you kind of, I, I'm a, I, being a user experience professional, of course, I love feedback um, and I love data. And so some of the feedback from my students were, um, you've been doing this for your whole life. We're new to this. And um, and that's uh, that's something that has kind of stuck with me because I, I uh, tend to be determined and a perfectionist at, at that as well. And so um, apparently, I, maybe I was a little rough on my grading, <laughs> <laughs> um, which now I caveat um, when my students come into my classes that I've been uh, told that that maybe I'm a I'm a tough grader. But I guess that's oh, also see. part of becoming a um, becoming a, a a better professional. And and for me, coming from the corporate world, I've had to really figure out what it means to be a professor and how to how to teach things as well and user experience research methods class uh, again yeah. is something that I've been doing for so long and also I was teaching it different variations of this class over over time and I just feel like feel like maybe I need to evolve it even further and there's yeah. so much going on right now it's it's hard for me also to be teaching the old not the old. So I, I use the Handbook of Usability Testing as my te- textbook, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows the Handbook of Usability Testing and the usability. Um, and this is such great stuff. I'm holding the book right now and kind of paging through it. And yeah. there, there's so much good stuff in here, um, but it's very, very, very intense. Yeah. It's very scientific if you think about it. And I, I always liken the process that you go through to the scientific method as you're thinking about usability yeah. testing. And um, um, we need to, in getting back to my the, my agile UX class that I'm teaching this this class this quarter, how do I how do I find the balance between the two? How do I teach what I'm teaching in user experience research methods that is the long form of research in yeah. an agile uh, world. You know, I had an interesting thing happen in class, uh, in the class I'm teaching. Uh, this semester I'm teaching human information processing. And uh, we, we, we're at the point in the class where now the students are going to start to work on case studies, you know, to mm-hmm. apply everything we've been doing. So um, what I find, and I, I don't know how different, you know, the students I have are from yours, but what I find is that uh, they they understand the principles fairly well and can apply them fairly well. But then I give them a twist because now we're going to apply them not just to a product or a website or an app, but we're going to have a, a you know we're going to define a persona and we're going to define a scenario and we're going to define tasks that the user wants to do. And we're going to look at the product and evaluate the different principles based on that 
persona and scenario. And yep. that was like, they were like, what? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so they were used to looking at the software or website or whatever and deciding based on their opinion mm-hmm. and their point of view what was, you know, working and what wasn't working. But now I was forcing them to say, no, it's not your point of view. You got to mm-hmm. take the point of view of the the woman who runs the dental office. Yep. And is wondering if she should get a new supplier of dental, you know, supplies mm-hmm. for the office. And that's not you. Yeah. And that was a, you know, that was a tough transition for them to mm-hmm. to take it out of what what they think is best, you know, and really and look at it from that that you know user point of view, which. Is, and that's another one of those things I think, Amy, that I, you know, I do, I've been doing for my whole career, right? Is taking that the user's point of view, like putting myself yep. aside. So it's like, well, of course you would do that, right? And then, of course, I, I made it even more complicated because I gave them the scenario of the user, and then I gave them the scenario of the of the product owner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> who, yeah. who has this website and here's what so here's what Katie the dental office manager wants to do and here's what the company that runs this website wants Katie to do of and those two things don't match yep yep you know and now what are you going to do and they were like deer deer in the headlights is like what and it's like yes. well that's the real world yeah. Exactly. Yes, and that's what I tell my students too when we're going through this. And I and I think my my experience in these situations where I can share stories around around it and similar yeah. to the, the scenario is really really incredibly helpful for for um, learning purposes because it, it makes the tacit concrete and yeah. um, that's that's the part that's that's really hard I think. Um, that you need to start doing and until you do, you don't understand the importance of some of the nuances of what we do as users. There's a lot of nuances. All right. So what, what's your, what's your, that was, that was your most challenging one. Yeah. What's the, you know, like easiest or most fun or least challenging? Um, well, um, I am totally digging my Agile um, UX class. It's Agile. You are, huh? Yes. And I am digging it in a way that I never thought that I would like um, Agile. Because when I was doing Agile um, UX, and um, I didn't quite get it because it was so chaotic. It wasn't very linear. I couldn't, I didn't really, I, I got it, but I didn't, but it was such a shift and change. And fortunately, um, when I was at Northwestern Mutual, um, there were a ton of resources available to me, including coaches that helped me through the process. But even with all the help that I had and all the resources that I had available, still wasn't 100% like, not that I wasn't sold. It's just, I didn't quite get it. Yeah, you weren't sold. So Um, is this, is this an example of, you know, in order to really learn something, you have to teach it? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be it because I'm 
I'm experimenting with it on my own too in my personal life, which is kind of strange. Well, and yeah, Guthrie, we, we were um, we were talking when we met a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she told me she was having her students create uh, a kanban mm-hmm. of their life. Yep. Wait, so we wait, have wait. A, con- a kanban for their life, or literally like a kanban of everything they've done in their life. No, no, no. A kanban just for their, you know, day to day. Right? Is that right, Amy? Yep. 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 Yeah. So, sure. Yep. They they haven't they they know it's coming. So my students haven't started kanbaning. Next week they'll start. They'll get the assignment. And they'll start kanbaning. I've started kanbaning my life now um, for the last three weeks. And... Yeah, so then I was telling her that, and now we should probably, uh, all right, Guthrie, since you haven't had a chance to say anything, <laughs> you want to do a quick explanation of what what we what we mean when we say kanbaning or doing a kanban? So kanban uh, is is just a is is named after a thing, and it's basically a way <laughs> of a yeah. Well, it's accurate. And Kanban is a, is a Japanese word for billboard, from what I understand, or visual visual uh, board. So it's correct. Large board. By mm-hmm. but by thing, I I meant visual board, and <laughs> okay. it, it's it's a very flexible way of. I'm, I'm supposed to describe what a Kanban is. Very flexible yeah. way of organizing the tasks that you have to do, uh, into uh, bite-sized things, and then working on. Uh, it's a limited number of tasks at a time to maximize your the amount of stuff you get done without mm-hmm. missing anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So and, uh, yeah, it's, I had we yeah. we've talked about kanbans before. Uh, basically, you uh, you have basically you have like a sprint fra- phase, and you kind of move things into this is what we're really working on, mm-hmm. and then you get stuff done faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically. Yeah. The, it's you know to do doing and done <laughs> is is the essence which is is fascinating to me to think about how simplistic something can be but how much more efficient it can make life processes and so many different things so yeah it's been really uh i mean we i haven't really i can't say i use it necessarily in my personal life although maybe I should but we've been using it for as I told you a couple weeks ago Amy for our work stuff mm-hmm. um, just for you know what projects are we working on right now and it has it's helped me tremendously mm-hmm. I think it's helped us as a team as yeah. Well. well yes so you're starting to so your students are going to uh, experience it correct yeah, yeah. and so it's I'm excited to see them because I wanted to get ahead of it and do this on my own first, which is why I'm really enjoying, I guess, to your original question, why I'm really enjoying this class. It's the first time that I'm teaching it as well, so I'm learning as I'm going, and I'm trying yeah. to be very agile about that as well um, and, and really focusing on making things better, listening, um, and not trying to make everything perfect. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, it, it's just been um, it, the three weeks that I've been doing the the combining of my life. Um, I'm noticing that how much I do on a weekly basis. Also noticing the mixture of of the tasks that I'm putting on my kanban. Yeah. Oh, my husband has gotten totally on board with it too. And so for you, <sighs> to be using um, a kanban 
whiteboard as a communication tool and also to get things done. I think that's fantastic. But I think as a family, I think one of yeah. something that I'm also interested in too, that this is kind of a, a, a connection to is the connected family. Um, and, and how can we connect families in different ways in order to better communicate? And the idea of the personal um, or, or uh, using Kanban or Kanbaning your life is really um, interesting because it's a communication tool and it also just shows how chaotic people's lives are. Um, and, and it also helps us to see um, how we prioritize things in our head differently based on who we are and what we are and what our priority is for a specific mm-hmm. um, which I'm hoping um, that not only is it going to make me more efficient and help my husband and I communicate better, but um, as my students do this, I want to you know, and I don't, I don't think it's just, um, I don't think it's just efficiency. I mean, I, it definitely has helped us be more efficient, but mm-hmm. I think it has, um, I think it, re- for me, it has relieved an enormous amount of stress. Yes. Well, and so that's really interesting that you say that, Susan, because I've been showing everybody my Kanban. So I have these really ugly, it's in, our, it's in my, my husband's bathroom, which is kind of a strange place to be bringing people. Okay, that's a strange bathroom. place to have your Kanban chart, it I got to say. But we have these really ugly mirrors. So we have our house is built <laughs> in the 90s, and there are these, <laughs> we have like, well, ugly, tall mirrors. And so I started using, anyways, so I've been bringing people into my bathroom to show them because I've been, I've been wanting to get people's opinions on it. Yes. um, uh, What's, what's interesting about it is that, um, oh, now I just lost my train of thought. Um, I, we were talking about stress, relieving stress. stress. So one of the individuals that I brought in, um, her name is, is Tammy. Um, and she's working on her PhD in human capital. And so I was really interested in getting her take on, on it. And, um, she was like, this makes me anxious. Yeah. <laughs> it made her anxious. It made her anxious, um, looking at it. And I said, I can see, and that's, that's kind of the, when I show people our Kanban, yeah. um, it makes them anxious initially. But then when I start explaining it to them, I can see that their bodies and their calm, like they start like getting it how it could apply to their lives and I guess to your point um, Guthrie what what do you think about what, what what's your take on anxious versus less stressed I mean I I don't it, it some people definitely have feel feel anxious when they feel like there's a mountain of things that they have to do and mm-hmm. they I personally have never been one of those people. Um, I I generally have my own internal system of keeping track of what I need to do. And so mm-hmm. I have a pretty good sense of w- how big my mountain is. I think a lot of people um, are not very good at doing that internally. And so uh, they're not stressed about what they have to do. They're more stressed that they don't know how much they have to do. And mm-hmm. that can be a lot of trouble for them. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 it's very interesting. I mean, I think, like, I know there are people who like using in to-do lists, and, and Kanban, I guess, is a type of to-do list, but I find it a very different type, because I've always had to-do lists, and that didn't help me be more 
efficient or productive or less stressed when I had to-do lists. <laughs> that's really one of the reasons why I came up with the idea as I was developing this class, because I wanted to bring Kanban into my class. Because we're doing, we're doing Scrum, um, but Kanban is, is, is also extremely important. But I didn't, I, I didn't want to mix the two be, with students, yeah. with their group projects. So I'm like, well, how can I bring it in? And, and this was really... A, a great way in order to bring it in in a way that might be meaningful to students because what I had found is that I write I'm a to-do list person my mom is the person that started to do this I remember as a kid my mom always had to-do lists laying on the counter and she was yeah. constantly back to her to-do list and that's that's kind of how I've managed and planned my life but what I found is that I'm constantly rewriting these to-do lists over and over again and if if god forbid I I lose my to-do list because um, I don't always <laughs> think digital, but then I'm also writing to-do lists and taking pictures of my to-do list and then putting them in Evernote. So it's like this <laughs> cycle of, I know, as Guthrie said, what my mountain looks like, yeah. but, but understanding how to make it flow in the most efficient way just, just wasn't, wasn't working as well in the system that I had created of to-do lists, post-it notes, pictures, Evernote. Um, email. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've studied, um, the research on, uh, creativity Mm -hmm. and I've been teaching, uh, a fair amount in, oh, when I teach, uh, how, like I teach, uh, some, some workshops at, um, my local yoga studio actually. Oh, fun on, uh, you know, mindfulness and that, that kind of thing. And, and I always bring in the research on, on how the brain, how the brain works when you're being creative, which is not just creativity. It's just how the brain works. So, you know, you've got this, uh, uh, part, certain parts of your brain that work together that are called the executive attention network. And that's Mm -hmm. where you, you put your focus on. Uh, a particular problem you want to solve or, you know, thing you want to work on or whatever it is. So it's your focused attention on a task. And then um, what we know is that the the way your brain works most naturally and best is if you set that attention and then you let it go. Mm -hmm. And then you're what's called, I hate the name of this, it's the imagination network, which I I always think of Disney, you know. Yes. running the imagination network but anyway it's parts of your brain that um in a largely unconscious way sift through your knowledge sift through uh your experiences run simulations and that all goes on uh you know in uh, unconscious unconsciously mm-hmm. uh based on the the intention you set with the executive network mm-hmm. part and then uh, what happens is there's one more network called the salience network and what that does is it's constantly monitoring um, all the other networks and so when you come up with an idea a simulation and so on uh, that fits that problem you were trying to solve the salience network kind of grabs it and brings it to conscious attention as an, you know, idea, inspiration. And we've all had this experience, right? You're working yeah. on something 
and then you were trying to figure out what should I do about this, what should I do about that, and then you let it go and you go take the dog for a walk or, or you know, an hour goes yeah. by or a week or a month and then all of a sudden you get this idea, oh, wait, I know, mm-hmm. I can do such and such. So that's your salience network. And so this is like the normal way your brain works to do all the time. And so I, th- I think, for me at least, what the Kanban does Mm-hmm. is it get, makes it very clear, uh, you know, you've got all this possible stuff mm-hmm. and that you could do or could be working on or could be solving or whatever. And, you know, there's the, all the possible stuff and you got that all on the big list. But then you, you, when you take, you know, one or two items and move them into the next column on the Kanban, essentially you're telling your executive attention network this is what we're going to focus on. And and then because you have done that and because you know that you're only going to work on, you know, one or two things at a time and everything else is still there, but it's on the, the bit, you know, the main list. It's not in the sprint. Um, it, I believe what it does is it, because we know that the, the imagination network can't go do its thing if the executive network is always uh being uh is always on uh the imagination network will be will be relatively quiet until that executive attention network turns off so yes. i think what happens is that with kanban it allows you to set that intention very clearly but it also allows you to turn that off so that you can go and you know let let your imagination network salt figure out how to how to do the work that's my theory. I I love it. I was writing things down as you <laughs> were talking, um, and I'm I'm really excited to to dig into uh, all you know the salient network, imagination network, and executive attention network uh, from my notes more deeply because I am really feeling like the idea of combining a life could have some real from a user experience. Um, uh, perspective, some real benefits if we start thinking about breaking down tasks differently and using some of the methods from Agile in order to do so, especially with the um, with the coming of artificial intelligence, the idea of machine learning. We need to learn how people are actually, and I know that there's lots of studies out there about the way people work. There's lots of time studies, yada, yada, yada. But have we really started thinking about how how the, how the things flow through these three networks that you were just talking through? And can we understand that better so that we can match some of the um, machine learning algorithms better to the way that we um to the way that we live as human beings therein freeing up time for humans to be humans? And that's another big more philosophical question is, you know, what is the purpose of, of a human being ultimately? But I don't even think we can get to that point if we are constantly having all these tasks and we are unable to free up time for us to um, move ourselves to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so um, also the idea of, of how people are, are breaking down the tasks and what's important to them and what language they're using is also mm. extremely important too, because as we know with, um, with the new systems that are coming out, like Alexa, like natural language is not, there's always the strong suit. So how do we, how do we improve yeah. those two? What can we learn from this and how do we, how do we, again, there's, there's a lot of different thoughts here, but, um, 
I think that there there's something from a UXer perspective that maybe we as professionals within our field can start thinking about um, thinking about these different tools that we have in our toolbox. We have a whole bunch of them already, but how do we use them in different ways in order to learn more deeply about human beings and the way that we want to interact with technology? Yeah, I mean these Sometimes are the I, these are the hot yeah, these are the hot uh, things I think in uh, in UX these days is the mm-hmm. is kind of both UX but then like applied to life. Yes, I feel like that's a it's a very it's so hot right now. Yeah, it's, it's very very trendy. Well, life and and life and life is not getting any easier. <laughs> and um, even though we have all these technologies that we are, as UX professionals, accountable for making them easier, are they really making their lives easier? I feel like a lot of times we have so much that's thrown at us. Like, I feel sometimes when talking to my students, like, I have no idea what's going on in the world because there's so much. There's no possible way that I can know everything that's going on. Um, but how does everything fit together? How do they coordinate together? How does technology coordinate um, with one another? And um, I don't know. Um, this is I what I like that. about Amy. You know, she ne- <laughs> she never thinks about the big picture. <laughs> Just the little things in life. She's only concerned mm-hmm. with what she's going to have for lunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking speaking of lunch. Mm-hmm. Speaking of lunch, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I th- yeah, you're right, Guthrie. Speaking of lunch, we probably have reached the our limit of what we can talk about. Amy, I knew when I uh, told you you should come on the podcast mm-hmm. that we would not have any trouble filling up an hour, and I think we we probably did that. Uh, if people want would like to reach you, uh, yeah. if they're interested maybe in, in checking out MSOE, um, what's the best way to get hold of you? Um, probably emailing me at this point. Uh, so it would be Lapointe, L-A-P-O-I-N-T-E, at M-S-O-E dot E-D-U. It's probably the best way. Um, and you can feel free to share my, my information um, if you would like as, as well. Um, so that's, that's probably okay. yeah, the and best Guthrie, way. Or just looking at, yeah, at Milwaukee School of Engineering, also um, our website. Um, we're, we're in the process of going through a university website redesign, which is why I didn't uh, automatically go to msoe.edu, which has a wealth of information about um, the university. Um, but we, we haven't quite transitioned all of our content out there yet, as we all know as UX professionals, that the content is always <laughs> the, the if people want to reach us, yeah, uh, they can email info at theteamw.com and talk, you know, share the podcast with a friend. Uh, that's 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 it, right? And uh, they, should, they the... should go to blog dot uh, We have a, we're actually doing a lot of content recently. Yeah, we have yeah. a lot of new content, and uh, everyone should try Kanbaning their life. Yes, they should. <laughs> Amy, thanks so much for coming on board. We've really enjoyed talking to you. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Yep. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.